0: Oh, yeah. And if you let your boy BC digress for a second, I got something new to tell you about. How about the all new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe, right? How about a vehicle equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family? And if you're looking for features, the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has you covered, like available H-Trek all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some of that mud. And with standard third-row seating, you can make sure the whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads make sure no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Make sure you can worry less about the rugged terrain to come. Want to learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe? Head on over to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. It's a 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Hi, everybody. How are you? It is uh, the 27th of May. God, it's the 27th of May already. Mm. Uh, 2021. And uh, my name is Luke Thomas, and this is episode 77, I believe, of the Luke Thomas Live Chat. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. We will go for about an hour and some change today as we normally do. Uh, We'll get into whatever you want to talk about. There's not a whole lot in combat sports this weekend. There's just the Devin Haney fight, but I don't think anybody in this chat particularly cares about that. So whatever else is on your mind, we can get to it. Um... Questions always go up the day, or the thread for questions always goes up the day before on the Community tab right here on the YouTube channel for Morning Combat, and then people filling up and I answer it, okay? All right, so without further ado, let's get this party started. All right. So let's go pull up these questions. If we can. All right. 258. Pretty good. Pretty good. More than I can usually get to. Jesus. First of all, let's put this uh, subscribe off. There we go. All right. So... Thumbs up, hit subscribe, appreciate everybody. Uh, this is the first comment. It's left three hours ago. I, I don't know if it's truth, but if it is, it's terrible. Um, I just found out last night my cousin was one of the victims in the San Jose VTA transit yard shooting. 29 years old, left behind a two-year-old son. just wanted to shout out all the families of the victims. Yeah, well, if that is true, uh, I'm not saying it's not. I just have no way of verifying it, but assuming that it's true, that is beyond terrible, and I am um, incredibly sorry to hear that. All right, this person asks, what professions do you think the narrative of you can't say anything unless you've done it holds the most weight? Boy, that's a great question. Um, Well, I'm not sure there's any job where you can't say anything about someone else's performance even if you've never done it. Um, I mean, the President of the United States, it's literally one person at a time can have it. There's been less than 50 of them and they get roundly <laughs> criticized, perhaps unfairly in many ways, uh, depending on who's holding office or what they've done. but you know none of them are perfect. I think that's a pretty fair statement. So it's I wouldn't say that um, the rarity of it, like, what, what conditions would be there where you would at least temper your criticism, where you'd be like, you know what? Let's think about this a little bit. I would say, one, the difficulty of the job, right? Especially if, like, it comes at a great personal sacrifice to the person who's engaging in it. That would limit what you might say a little bit. Like, what kind of criticism should we make of fire departments? There, there might be plenty you could make, or firefighters individually, and I'm sure that within fire departments, people are evaluated for their performance. But from the outside looking in, You might want to temper that a little bit, just a little bit, given the difficulty of the job. Uh, I think that's one. However, if the abuses or the failures are egregious, that will not, you know, there's nothing that could prevent you from saying something in that particular regard. Did you guys see the story here? You may have not. It was a big local story here in D.C. They caught two cops, I'm not joking, on duty, in squad cars, drag racing on the street. And, lo and behold, they fucking crashed. They have dash cam footage of the whole thing. It's like, let me get this straight. On taxpayer money, in cars you don't own, you took to public streets to race your work vehicle? Wow. Okay. (laughs) Right? I mean, I don't know what it's like to be a cop, but I know that that's pretty fucking irresponsible. So, um... So that might change the equation a little bit. So I would say, one, to the extent that the job is limited in scope, which is to say, like, there's one of it, there's only 10 of them, that should probably temper some enthusiasm. I think, two, the very difficulty of that job, um, again, it wouldn't eliminate criticism, but it might temper it a little bit. I think, um, um, you know, perhaps the nobility of the pursuit of the job might, might limit some criticism in some ways, but honestly, I, I, I struggle to think of a job where like, listen, if, if you were to run a university and you were to hire a physics professor to teach introductory physics to freshmen, you're not so much worried about the high-end string theory craziness, but perhaps, you know, 101, 201 level classes, not tenure track, I don't know that you have to know the ins and outs of teaching physics or physics itself to have other measurements that can be obtained that let you know whether or not someone is doing a good job, whether it's peer review, whether it's student review, whether it's to what extent students go on to pursue graduate studies in that line of work, whatever the metrics are. So like I, I I struggle to think of any job where you can say that it just is that if there's not many people doing something like it if there's not many different roles, right? There's only one of it, um, you know. And again, if they've held it for a short amount of time, it's another one, right? Where I mean, it's a lot easier to criticize a congressman who's been in Congress sixty years versus I mean, I'm making something up, but let's say sixteen years versus six months, right? So the length of time of a job opens it up a little bit more. So, so, all those factors can affect how much criticism, but frankly, I don't think there's a single one where you can't, where you have to do it in order to say something about it. It's just that, um, obviously, expertise in that particular line of work gives you more credibility or, um, you know, all the various factors therein. With you going to Miami, I think an interview with you and the Dan Lebitard crew would be interesting and a good listen. Would like to talk to him, I suppose. Do you have any Showtime contacts to make that happen? No, 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 I don't. Um, I found Dan's—I uh, mean, Dan's radio show is maybe the best in all of sports. So I'll give him that. I found his MMA opinions like early on to be very much ahead of the curve. I find them now to be a little bit behind, um, which is fine. Like, not everyone needs to be an MMA fan or have the most enlightened takes on all of things, combat sports or MMA in particular. I, I don't say it super pejoratively. In fact, he could do competent, in fact, interesting talk on virtually most things in sports, and I would enjoy it. I've not loved so much some of the... Uh, I found some of his recent opinions about what the violence inside MMA means as part of our complicity, frankly, to, to be a little bit glib. Um, but, you know, on most things in sports, he's far ahead of the curve, so... It's a little bit regrettable that his MMA opinions are that way, but it's still the best show maybe in in all well, I mean it's odd hiatus or transitioning, whatever you want to call it, but when it's running, or I guess he's still in miami I, I don't I don't know how that works, but you know his ESPN radio show was very much ahead of its time. <laughs> There's a whole new generation of MMA fans out there who probably had no idea what Two Girls' One Cup is, yeah, maybe, maybe. Lots of things that you sort of take for granted as cultural, yes, artifact, but an enduring one. They, they become much more artifact than enduring artifact. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, this isn't... It's not altogether insulting, just mostly. I No, half-half. Luke, what do you... And I'll read it, you know what? Because if you don't read it, it only makes it worse, so I will read it. Um, Luke, what do you think of... <laughs> People calling you the human embodiment of Brian from Family Guy. Yeah, let's think about that for a second. Um, Not the worst thing I've been called. Not the best. Um, You know, there's... What am I going to tell you? There's not some overlap there. There's probably some overlap. Um, You know, probably on the... uh, (laughs) Probably on the less kind part of the spectrum. He's a uh, poorly read fraud. That hurts. Um, I'd like to think I read a little bit more than he does, uh, relative to his views. But you know, all right, you gotta let the insult fly. What's on the good side? Well, he's somewhat the more sensible creature uh, of in the family. He is, um, I think, has a good heart. A little bit monotone. Her suit. So, <laughs> you know, do I like every? Do I like every aspect of that? No, I guess I don't, but um, I'll let you guys decide. My fraternity brothers think I'm more uh, Kenny Powers, which is also insulting in certain ways. But um, again, you present a certain product to the world. Maybe they don't understand you fully, but they understand what you gave them. All right. uh, If Derek Lewis beats Francis... Do you think John will suddenly be ready to fight a heavyweight right away? No. I think with Richard Schaefer, if you guys don't know him, Richard Schaefer is a guy who uh, most of my, in fact, really only my only exposure was I had covered a few Golden Boy fights. Um, I had covered Lamont Peterson and Mira Khan. I had covered, um, you know, certain Canelo fights when he was with Golden Boy. And so I had seen Richard Schaefer do work and. Uh, do media interviews at the time. He's a clearly a, a very bright guy, he really understands the boxing industry. My hunch is that if he's been if he's been uh, kept abreast of the situation between John and UFC, he probably at this point is, you know what? The well's a little bit poisoned. Um, you're stuck in your contract. Let's take a break. let's let's quit beating this, you know, uh, dead horse, which is kind of what it is at this point. They have reached an impasse and if you really feel like I tend to think that the claim that John had made about getting too heavyweight and you know I could wait another year and it doesn't really serve my interest to go in there right now and it serves all of theirs I tend to think there's probably some truth to that and that was that that, that may come from the guidance of Richard Schaefer but I also think that's just a way to look at the situation such that when they come back a they can kind of approach it from a fresh angle whatever that angle may be and then b you know John can say okay I'm really ready for this now I've Fully prepped. I've done this the right way. And um, who knows where Francis might be in the pecking order at that time? Who knows what the division might look like? But if Francis goes through and dusts Derek Lewis, which, you know, I, I don't know how likely it is, but it's not the craziest thought. And then if he goes through and he beats Stipe for, a, well, it would be the second win, but third fight. You know, there might be some, like, Cyril gone is kind of moving up the ranks, so maybe he'll be ready by then. But, you know, John at that point, or if Stipe wins, whatever, John might have some better options at that point. I, I just think mostly what it boils down to is less about really getting ready for the weight class or whatever permutation might be down the road. That probably factors in some. I think r- rather what it points to is, you know, this individual effort of negotiating through media and then talking to Hunter Campbell behind the scenes it's it's not going to go any further without some kind of exterior change being imposed upon whatever discussions may take place and I think stepping back is probably the right call actually that or just fight out your contract I mean I, want, I wonder how many fights John has left if it's something like seven I can understand his reticence if it's something like three you know I might try and just fight that thing out, right? Um, See what you can do at that point, but who knows? All right, out of three potential likely uh, uh, women's MMA matchups, which excites you the most and why? Amanda Valentina 3, Amanda Kayla, and then Valentina Tatiana Suarez. Boy, I'm not going to... Okay, so it's definitely not Amanda Valentina 3. That has enormous stakes, but I saw the... First fight wasn't bad, second fight was terrible. Yes, technical, you know, not mad at either of them for playing the game the way that they played it, but it was not a very enjoyable experience. Everyone was berating Amanda Nunes at the time, if you guys forget this, for um, what fight she had pulled out from because she had sinusitis. And everyone called her like, oh, I've had the sniffles before. And it's like, you know, Amanda will beat the fuck out of you clowns. But... Um, you know, there was there, she wasn't operating in that space as like the fan favorite that she kind of has become at this point. So, you know, it was, it was a weird vibe. I thought Shevchenko won it, but it was very, very close. Like, do I really want to see that a third time? Yes, of course I want to see it for what it means and what the results could tell us, but I don't have like a burning desire to see the fight on fight terms. That That, that is less interesting to me. Amanda Kayla is very interesting to me. I think Kayla Harrison with a focused executed um with a focused game plan uh, that really caters to her strengths amanda's no slouch on the ground but i tend to think that kayla could potentially be really interesting for in terms of giving her problems and then valentina tatiana suarez now as you guys know she moved up or at least indicated a desire to move up from 115 to 125 that yes i would very much like to see that but that really 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 depends on the health of her neck now i know she's taken a long time to heal it i hope it is healed when she's out there and she's at her best, you know there wasn't anyone at 115 who I thought could stop her. I thought she had championship material written all over her. At 125, we'll see what the situation is like, about to what extent her wrestling is still dominant, how she fits into the weight class, what's the deal with her neck. So of the three, because of the, some of those other factors, I'd go. I'd personally go Amanda Kayla. But I recognize the biggest of the three is Amanda Valentina three. What does your wife think of the representation slash portrayal of Pablo Escobar in Narcos? She hated it. She hated it. She thought Wagner Moura, the Brazilian actor who played Pablo Escobar, was a very good actor, and I think he is a very good actor. It wasn't that he had done a poor acting performance, um, but in many ways, you know, you have so you got to understand region. Like every country has has something like this, but regionally, you know the. Medellin, the people from that area call themselves Paisas. and uh, I'm told that Escobar had a very classic Paisa accent. And if you listen to Wagner Mora, it's you know even I could hear it. Uh, I could hear the sort of Brazilian Portuguese influence in his Spanish. It was it was noticeable. Um, less noticeable if he was speaking in smaller kind of whispery tones, but when he when the character would get enraged. You know, you've got, I mean, I hate to say iconic in the sense that he is uh, a, a nefarious person, but certainly is iconic. You are this iconic Colombian villain with a Brazilian accent. You know, it, it, it was a turn off, as I understand it, for many Spanish speakers, even if they recognized that Escobar, uh, or rather that Wagner Mora, you know, certainly a talented performer, Uh, In terms of like his attitude or what he represented, or I I, I never heard a ton of complaints in that direction, but I did see a lot of people complaining that, you know, if you're gonna get somebody that unique, but also that representative of a certain kind of people, they should have a similar kind of accent. And And it might sound like, oh, that's like, you know, Splitting hairs, but can you imagine? I don't know, somebody portraying John Wayne, and they sound like they're from Brooklyn. You know, like Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. You'd be like, that doesn't sound like fucking John Wayne at all. <laughs> like, what are you talking? You know, it'd be kind of weird, right? Or uh, you know, I don't know, like Martin Luther King sounding like a like a like a teenage girl from the Valley in California or something. It just you, it wouldn't add up. Um, I, I, you know, and certainly Martin Luther King is an exalted figure and Pablo Escobar is not. But again, to the extent that they represent a larger people in their uh, way they speak, you can see that big differences, even within a nationality, can change how you view someone. So I heard a ton of complaints about that. All right. Very silly question. Da 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 ba ba. I was wondering why, uh... (laughs) okay, hold on, let's see, let me see something here. more silly questions you guys are full of them have you ever considered posting more experimental videos on your personal channel stuff like film book reviews politics strength sports whatever explore your interests outside of combat sports realm on your personal channel yeah i've given it tons of thought i don't know what i would put up though if you put up something on your channel you can experiment a little bit but in part one people come to your channel for a certain kind of expertise or a certain kind of um, focus and a sort of an area of discipline. And you can play with that if there's enough uh, personal identity built into the brand, which obviously there is a little bit with me. But even then, to the extent... It's not not even like people hated other things that I put up there. That's not quite true. It was just that they didn't... There wasn't a lot of traffic for it. There was just... There was a sort of a collective shrug from the existing audience so I could do like another channel but that's a lot of work I'm trying to build MK you know I'm never opposed to these sorts of things in theory Uh, especially the strength sports part I I really want to find a way to do more with that but it's not as easy as it might look when you brand a channel in your identity and you know the last 15 years my occupation has been strictly this kind of a thing so um, that's what people come to you for you got to be a little bit a little bit you know, so sometimes I'll skip all the politics questions. Sometimes I don't, obviously, but, because I want it to have some latitude. But at the same time, you got to kind of narrow the focus for um, what you're going to share on a particular platform. That's an interesting question. If you had the time and youthful vigor, of which I have neither, which combat sport would you train for fun? Jiu-Jitsu for fun, for sure for fitness honestly any of them. You can get fit doing any of them, dude. You can get fit doing jiu-jitsu, you can get fit doing wrestling, you can get fit doing sambo, you can get fit doing Muay Thai or just regular you can get boxing. Dude, you get in great shape fucking boxing. Like you you can it really when it comes to fitness, you know, if you follow any kind of if you go to the gym 4 days a week, maybe more, but let's say 4 days a week and you're following what the instructor says, and you're just showing up and you're doing your thing, and you don't eat like a total asshole, you're going to lose weight. I mean, it's just the way it's going to be. You're going to do intense workouts. You're going to be doing them consistently. Again, assuming you're not injured, and assuming you don't leave there and go right to, you know, Burger King or something like that, chances are it's just going to come right off. Um, and, and then, especially if you start locking in your diet, you, you'll see amazing transformations. For, so for fitness, honestly, I'm not going to say that they're all equally good. They might have some modalities might be better than others for certain kinds of people. But in general, I, I tend to think you can get fit with all of them. Um, Jiu-Jitsu might be a little bit harder to get fit. I actually found that if I didn't lift weights while doing it, I would get atrophy in certain parts of my body that were you know, bad for my overall quality of life. So... You know, understand that too, but um, for fun, for pure fun, for sure jiu-jitsu, for sure. Jiu-jitsu, if you're not injured and you can do it consistently, it's a lot of fun. Um, but as you get older, that, that shit becomes a lot less of both. All right, I think I've answered this one a million times. Is there something else? Um, Luke, the most regrettable thing you've done since being in MMA media. I've answered this one a few times. I get it every few years. Uh, the, the short story is I'd interviewed Brian Stan and I I hired someone to transcribe the interviews and they had fucked it all up and I never double checked it and I posted it under my name and he got really mad. Now we, we, um, and it was the nature of the way I framed the headline too, about would he fight his teammates. Um, we hit, We really buried the hatchet years and years ago, and I apologize profusely because it really was my fuck up. And it sounds like, oh, you're blaming the guy who transcribed. No, I'm not. Yes, I mean, that person should not have transcribed in the way that they did. But if you post it, and especially, dude, if it's got your name on it, 1,000%, you are responsible. And then on top of that, I was the one framing certain things a certain way. I, I, I care less about the framing and more the accuracy. I mean, you're going to say someone said something, it needs to be accurate. I mean, that was a total disaster. That I'd fuck that up. Um, I'll tell you someone something I've thought about differently, which is: Look, I'm in a very privileged and unique position where I've been able to do. I've done most cool jobs in this industry. Again, there's a few things that have eluded me, but you know, for someone starting out from nothing, I had no connections. I've I've tend I've, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of different things, but while i'm glad i experimented and maybe if you get an opportunity to do something in your line of work or even this one where you get a chance to experiment th- there is a value to it but i have to say you also need to know like there were times i took jobs where i knew i was not a strong candidate and i did it cuz i thought i could like grow into the role and maybe it was a combination of you know self-consciousness not being good at the job plus um you know, an inability to just focus on on the the skills acquisitions I needed to get better, but I could not really force myself to meaningfully improve here or there. I could do it, but and so I I would say that like if you're thinking, I, you know, and again this this won't be advice for everyone or um, this isn't exactly error per se, but like looking back, I definitely, I definitely would have turned down a few jobs that I. Should have gone to somebody else that, and, and again, they, most of them I didn't do very long, so it wasn't like I was keeping people out or something forever. But, um, you know, I, I used to watch, here's the truth. When I first got really, when I first began to develop Bloody Elbow, and it was getting bigger each month and bigger and bigger until the point where I was attracting like real numbers, and, you know, SB Nation took notice of it, and it, was, it became a big thing. I, I remember I would look around the industry, and I saw all these people who had jobs that I really wanted, and, you know, it's a little bit of jealousy, of course, professionally. I'll just be honest. But a lot of it was like, dude, they were not good at it. They were not good at it. And and I kept wondering how the fuck they get hired. What you find is that they find ways to get hired because they have connections. But eventually, when they're not good enough, they just they they just they stop getting opportunities and the connections stop mattering and then there's nothing else to hold on to. A lot of them never developed their own audiences. They kind of relied on the big... The big outlets to give them an audience, and you know they they never developed a relationship with the audience directly. And I was always like, you know, what the fuck. So then, what you saw is that over time, a lot of them lost those jobs, and that better people got them. And then I watched myself become part of that, you know, where I had jobs I did not really should not have taken, um, and and then. The industry kind of realizing that that was not a good fit for you and then moving on to something else um, and to someone else. And I'm glad that they did. I remember, dude, I was, I, when I got, when Glory decided to not hire me, I was so fucking, it never happened to me ever. I was so relieved. <laughs> I was so relieved and not because the job sucked. The job was great. Dude, they flew me to Croatia. I got to watch Crow Cop in fucking Zagreb. You know, fight. You know, Remy Bonjasky. I got to see. I got to see the Last Man Standing tournament in L.A. I got to see tons of cool shit. They took care of me. No, no denying it. Um, they were late on a couple of paychecks, but that was a, That was an old regime, not the current group. It's the whole thing. But I was. I just could never even. I couldn't even convince myself I could do the job well. And when they were like, "Oh, we're going to move in a different direction," I was like, "Thank God, thank God." Thank God that they stopped asking me, because I that job should go to somebody else. Um, what happens to Connor in his UFC career if he loses the trilogy to Dustin? Well, you're seeing some seeds planted about like Kamara Usman. You know, I, who did he? He was asked by somebody I forget who it was. Um, you know, talking about Connor, and he had said Connor's kind of just like a regular guy now. Like, that whole aura and all the stuff he had done, that, that's that's an old Connor. This this version ain't like that. He's just a regular dude. Now, that could be incredibly dismissive and wrong. Connor could go in there and absolutely reclaim everything um, that, that he has lost, at least from a perception standpoint. But you're asking the opposite. So what happens if uh, all this... So those seeds being planted, they're going to bear some fruit. Um, and there's going to be a big narrative switch about this guy that 205 was his peak the UFC 205 you know he could still win here or there but connor as a title contender top of the division guy he's just not that guy anymore it, it, it will in other words it will it will make kamaru usman look prescient because they're leading with it a little bit now maybe they're leading with it based off what the evidence what they think the evidence tells them We'll need to see a third time to really to have a, a better clear sense of things. And by the way, I'm not even sure that that would be wrong. That if Connor loses to Dustin, it's less about like what's the narrative about him. That 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 does matter because that can sort of a way of of um, dictating how life is then viewed. But also, just like, ask yourself like whatever everyone else is saying, what would you say? What would you say if he lost to Poirier a third time? Right? We know from trilogies in MMA, the person who wins the second one more, more often than not wins the third one. There are some exceptions to that, but commonly, that, that's the way it goes, especially if there's a gap between the first and second one. Right, I mean, like a classic examples would go a thousand different directions, but Kator Liddell really reminded me of that. Um, so we're going to see. But if he loses, I, I, you know, I'm not sure that what Kamara, you know, regular fighter sounds a little dismissive. But the idea that I mean, there's there's still this kind of lingering hope, right? That Connor maybe he can't get exactly what he was at 145, bulldozing through that division in the way that he was, but that he can still hover at the top of the division. On the right night, he can beat just about anybody. Maybe not named Habib, but Habib's gone. So hey, by the way, he also has a win over Dustin, as we all know the story. You know, um, there, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. I think from either perspective, but like, just ask yourself. What would you say about Connor with all those breaks, losing to Mayweather, the Cerrone fight being, you know, sort of lone exception of, of goodness since that time, since 205, really, paychecks notwithstanding, uh, and then, you know, the loss to Poirier and whatnot. You, you know, you wouldn't, and then Habib, you wouldn't necessarily have a view as this is the guy in that division who's either going to run it or be even next to the guy who runs it. He might be at one or two or three steps behind at this point. Like, where are all his W's coming from in life? The paychecks from like, he sold whatever his stake was in his whiskey company. Dude, he got fucking paid off of that. Now, some of the numbers were a little bit uh, exaggerated, but in general, he made really good money off of that. He got really good money off the off the Mayweather fight and everything else. Like he's made He's made some real coin, some super real coin that's where the wins are coming from. I tend to think that's where his interests are. I tend to think that's the way that life is guiding him. Um, I don't expect him to beat Dustin, uh, quite, quite frankly. I, I don't know that, we'll have to see what happens, but I, I don't think he'll beat Dustin. So, this is a real situation that we're gonna have to um, face. Plus, the question is also, if Connor loses, was it knockdown, drag out, was it pretty close, was, you know, what kind of moral victory can he take from that, and then to that end, to what extent does that want to make him continue fighting somebody else? Okay, he doesn't beat someone in the top five, but he fights a Dos Anjos. They run that back and he ices them inside of a minute. You know, that'd be pretty good for his brand. So, like, there are ways in which it's not uh, a total loss, like a car accident, right? You ever you ever wrecked your car? I had a car accident. Some lady hit me right in front of the Australian embassy, right in front of that bitch. And if anyone knows where that is, there's a roundabout there. I come around the roundabout and she fucking creamed me, dude drilled me. Total loss on the car. Uh, you know, but not every time it's a total loss. Like is the loss to tr- uh, Dustin a total loss if he never fights again? You know, it's that would be devastating. It would be like, you know, totally it passed him by and then he hung it up. Like part of what Ronda Rousey did was, you know, her situation is very very unique. You know, the first real UFC superstar that was a woman. Pioneering in so many ways, her style was unique. There's so many ways that you can do that, but like you can you can understand her and why she's so special. But the way in which she ended her fighting career was so bad and so sudden and so abrupt. She limited the damage by not having a third or fourth or subsequent loss. Okay, but the loss to Holly was so matter of fact. The fallout so terrible. Not talking to the media before Amanda Nunes fight, and then Amanda absolutely gluing her with punches to the octagon, and then she just, she just she's out. It, 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 that, I think, affected people's judgment of what was there all along, or what was certainly there at that point, or what there ever could be. Um, the abruptness of her exit, I think, brought that into stark relief. So we'll see how he, ha- he handles it if we get to that. But, if he goes up there and he knocks out Dustin in 30 seconds, which he's capable of doing, the whole thing shifts. How much of the how much of Tony's decline can be attributed to him splitting up with his longtime corner like Eddie Bravo? I I, I I don't know. Uh I tend to think that I tend to think that whatever ailed him is less a function of Eddie not being there to guide him around it. Um certainly eddie has been a very very successful coach and proprietor of jiu-jitsu i think that's pretty fair i think that he probably did some wonders for eddie and maybe that relationship we talked about it before it's like dude kamaru usman and henry Hooft together produced a championship run that's a real thing you can say about them but maybe it came to an end and so someone else had to fill in that gap it doesn't mean that what they had was bad it just means it came to a close Maybe that's what happened with Eddie. It just it wasn't bad. I don't I don't really view that it was bad, or that he was necessarily the guy to fix it, but uh, it maybe it ran its course. I, I tend to think the issues are much bigger. Dean Thomas, I think, had articulated him these sort of unusual style guys. They can kind of they can kind of plow through when they're young, but when the game catches up and then they get a little bit older. All those things began to kind of unravel for them a little bit. I think that's a, probably a big part of it. I think the age is a big part of it. No one really talks about, I will not want to say no one, but I don't think it gets as much discussion as I think it's, that it's relevant. I think that beating from Gaethje, I don't think you come back from beatings like that all the way. I really don't. Um, it's even, even for someone as mentally tough as Tony Ferguson, who might be the most mentally tough guy I've ever seen, Even a guy like that, no one is immune from just taking a beating like that and be like, well, you know, I'll just come back same tomorrow I mean, it looks like a video game to you and us, man. Those are real fucking things Can you imagine someone doing that to you and how it would affect you? You have to have a steel trap of a mind to not feel that And Tony's got about one of the better ones I've seen Uh, I mean, I'm not sure who's better And, you know, look, I I think even he is suffering some of the ill effects, which would be understandable. Could you fucking blame him? I certainly couldn't. Thoughts on the sanchez Fabio split? I think we talked about this on Morning Combat. I don't think I have anything meaningfully to add. If Fury and Joshua were MMA fighters in UFC, would we have seen that fight by now? Yes, but it probably wouldn't be nearly as big. Ooh, July 17th Holloway versus Rodriguez um, your thoughts on why this fight was made and how it will go by the way you guys want to know something uh, in learning Spanish I think I've told you guys this before maybe not this is one of the this word Rodriguez gives me a, a hard time so if you grew up speaking English and you see this word the way you would pronounce it is Rodriguez right most people Rodriguez roDRI. G U E Z Rodriguez, but the way it was taught to me in Espanol is Rodriguez. It's R O D R. That's one, then D R I, then G U E Z, and it's a little hard for me to say that uh, it, conversationally. Rodriguez. I have a hard. I can do it if I take my time, but it's my tongue is not so nimble. Neither here nor there. I'm just bringing up some bullshit you don't care about. Uh, this fight is awesome, but I think Max is going to give him some real problems. I mean, Yair's been out for a while. Um, you know, the St. Jeremy Stevens, Obviously, we've seen what Yair can do when he's out there experimenting and flowing. And, you know, to do what he did to the Korean zombie. Just the most one in a million shot you've ever seen. You can't look past him. Fair. But Max, I think has an amazing ability to absorb damage. I think he's a master of range. I think he's a master of pressure, angles. Dude, I keep saying it. His team, they don't get nearly enough credit. They, uh, Those guys at Gracie Technics, Ivan Flores, shouts to Ivan Flores. He's given me a couple of interviews. I find him to be brilliant, and no one talks about it, man. Those guys over there, and, and uh, go back and look at my Eugene Behrman interview after the second fight between Volkanovski and Behrman. Behrman is effusive with praise towards the game planning and the thought process that went into Holloway's game plan. Dude, they even eat, when even Behrman is like, okay, that's impressive. You know you're dealing with somebody extraordinary. Uh, those guys are very, very good. And to me, Rodriguez, I think that unorthodox style that he has, very athletic, lot, very dangerous, that's gonna give a lot of people at a certain level of the game a lot of problems. I don't think Holloway is one of those guys, but I'll tell you this much, um, if Rodriguez beats Holloway, A, signature win of his career, by far, like not even close, he might catapult to a title shot. I don't know how, from what I understand, Mexico's a bit of a mess with the COVID situation, so I don't think you could put it there, but as things open up stateside, there might be some markets that could be cultivated. To get more of a Latin audience, right? I mean, the the possibilities about what you could do with Yair if he beats Max is extraordinary. And for Holloway, you know, I got to say, hard for me to look at this and think that the UFC is trying to do Yair a favor. (laughs) They're kind of sending, it looks to me, I don't know this but it looks to me like you know they've had an acrimonious relationship he's had some time off it looks to me like they're sending holloway out there to be like oh okay you want to do what you whatever it is that we don't like you for doing great you want to fight max holloway on july 17th like they're sending max out there to terminate him, you know um schwarzenegger style that's what i mean uh I get I get a real vibe on that. So if if Yair can play spoiler, tell you what, man, huge win for him and also for Max. You know he's got to wait out this whole Volkanovsky Ortega thing. I'm glad he's not just sitting around and waiting for you know to see what happens at the, later on. And God knows someone's taking his spot or whatever. Staying active. I think this is a very winnable opponent. Still a dangerous fight, a fun fight. People want to see. This is, you know, it's a, I think, I think a very tough fight for Yair, Rodriguez, <laughs> Rodriguez. Uh, but it's a fun one. H- hard to dislike if you're a fan. Very hard to dislike. Luke, we hear so many great things about your wife. Yes. Would you ever incorporate her into the podcast show? Same for B.C. or documentary at home behind the scenes. B.C., uh, you know, I do three shows with him a week. I don't need to do any more. But with my wife, would I ever incorporate her into the podcast or show? She'll probably make an appearance. I can show you a picture. Um, You guys want to see her on my wedding day? But, you know, she looked amazing. Let's see. I'll show you my wife on my wedding day. I think. It's my brother's wedding. Oh, you know what? Uh, I got one here, I think. No? Oh, my God. Dude, look at this picture of me on my wedding day. I mean... Bro, could I have... I've, I'm so washed now. Look at this. <laughs> you know, listen, I'm not saying I was Luke Rockhold back in the day. I'm not saying I was Luke Rockhold back in the day. But this is a hell of a lot better than this shit. I look terrible. Terrible. I look terrible. I don't know what happened. I just look like, as we say in the Marine Corps, a bag of smashed assholes. I look just repugnant. I don't know what happened to me. Oh, I'm the worst. <laughs> I was going to show you a picture of my wife. I ended be showing you a picture of my, me and lamenting my own existence. Um, I'll, I'll show you one of her later. I actually don't have them all on this phone. Can we get a color-coded background whenever it changes to boxing for the opportunity to fast-forward past BC's dismal attempt at making boxing relevant again? That's a little mean That's a little mean Listen Tell you what Boxing and MMA together Keeps me and BC in business So If you guys want us to be in business Then you gotta just live with boxing a little bit It's a fucking great sport You don't have to like it as much as MMA I guess you don't have to like it at all But do you have to hate it? I mean what is it? Is it like coming home and banging your mom? And like You know Walking out Grabbing a sandwich from the fridge And not saying hi? Relax a little bit. Looking at what happened to Cody against Rob Font. Do you think Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw will be similar where we see a slower TJ and Corey piecing up TJ for five rounds? I tend to think... Man, who knows? Um, no, I don't think you're going to see something quite like that. First of all, I don't, if it goes... If it goes five rounds, I tend to think it's because either side or at least one side. But what I'll say is there'll be a sufficient amount of wrestling to make it go that way. If it's just on the feet the whole time, I, I tend to think one of them might beat the other. They're pretty good about, uh, you know, setting traps, identifying angles, switching up timing, rhythm changes, location changes to land pretty clean. Um, So no, for five rounds, not like that. Not like that. Um, I tend to think that that fight is going to have a definitive conclusion. Someone's going to just finish off the other one. I tend to think it's probably going to be uh, Sandhagen who gets his hand raised. But really what Cody was up against there was if you go back and you watch the fight, um, obviously the jab of Rob Font was a big deal. He couldn't really get around it. Um, And Rob really had... Taken away some of the flurrying hooking power of um, uh, Cody Garbrandt, Um, you know, didn't do anything with the takedowns really, didn't make him count, and then had a high amount of volume. He could never really find the second gear. He got kind of trapped in a first gear. I tend to think TJ has got a few different levels at which he could at least access to make the fight. If, this, if it's not going one direction, make it perhaps go another. Still think that Cody gets his hand raised. Corey, excuse me, Corey gets his hand raised. But I don't think it'll look exactly like someone's stuck and then they just keep that same level of stuckness, so to speak, between them for the duration of the bout. When is BC going to do a reaction video to Two Girls, One Cup? After seeing this post, I actually looked it up and just watched it for the first time. Brian needs to do a reaction video. It's pretty gross, but I expected worse. Jesus, what were you expecting? <laughs> it's pretty bad. I mean, at least, you know, if, if, it, if it's what we think it is, it's, it's pretty bad. It's really bad. Yes, could someone question UFC standard contract in court due to it being draconian? Could someone try to question specific clauses that are so draconian that they are illegal or unfair? Yes, of course. All this time they could do it, but the problem is you're going to sit in a courtroom for a long time. It's why, um, you know, if you've seen Eric McGracken, the combat lawyer, he has been steadily preaching that if if St. Pierre... St. Pierre's in the best position because he's got the money to fund a lawsuit, and he's got time, he's really kind of retired, and what he would do is try to get sign a deal with Triller and then say that uh, he is... Protected under the Ali Act for boxing, which would make a court review whether or not um, UFC has the uh, ability to then be their sole promoter, or the Ali Act would actually protect them from doing that and then ha- have a court decide. Now they could lose, but they could also win. But the point being is, which I know is obvious, they could lose or win. I'm just saying, even if they won it would be years down the road. It wouldn't be really to their benefit. It would be to everyone else's benefit. It was like, to what extent does someone like a George St. Pierre want to invest his own money to protect other fighters? You can understand why he might be a little bit reluctant to do something like that just to give away money. But yeah, like these things are wide open for at least some kind of uh, challenge. Now again, maybe you challenge it the court decides, no, they can actually do that. The ALI Act, for whatever reason, wouldn't apply in these circumstances. Yeah, there, there are some ways that this could backfire, but the big one is, The people who are best situated to do and affect change don't have much of a desire to do it, or frankly, a strong incentive for others. Now that Diego has left Fabia, are you interested in interviewing either of them separately? No. No, I'm not. I I don't need to get to the bottom of this. (laughs) There's like a lot of people who are like, I gotta gotta get to the bottom of this. Listen, Diego's got some attorney. We don't know shit about him, but... Sounds like maybe he's a good person. That attorney will figure out what money Diego is owed, how attainable it is, and they'll come up with a plan. But, like, am I interested in the nuances and details of Diego Sanchez's relationship? Professional, personal, whatever it may have been. When I say personal, I just mean friendship. No, I don't give a fuck. what, What does knowing more about that situation, how does that enhance, like... My life, or your understanding of what matters in MMA. It seems to me total minutiae that we've gotten most of the details on, and frankly, whatever other details are there, unless they are really game changing in some kind of way, I, I feel like this issue has been mined as much as it needs to be mined, and probably more than that. Piggybacking on last week's question about UFC buying another promotion, how likely would would it be for Bellator to do that? Well, see, Bellator, I don't know. I don't think they have the money for that. Number one, and number two, they could benefit from it if Bellator and one was one organization, you know. And or I should say this: if Bellator purchased one, right, or PFL or something like that, and they were able to get their contracts. They could keep who they wanted. They could let go who they wanted. That would be really big for them, right? Having Bellator, imagine if you could combine into one organization all the best fighters from one, Bellator and PFL. You wouldn't exactly have a UFC competitor in that sense, but you would have a much stronger number two. You would have something closer to what Strike Force was back in the day when, you know, 2011 before they were acquired, 2010. You would have something kind of like that. Um, So they could really benefit from it, but none of those promotions have the liquid to do that. Liquidity. Uh, Will BC meet Abuela when he comes to DC? Yeah, sure. She's a nice person. Hello from Italy. Do you think the rise of Marvin Vittori can be a catalyst for more Italian fighters to break into UFC? Italy has always had good kickboxers. Petrosian, he's also Armenian. Um, Can you see Vittori being what Bisping was for the UK? Yes. Yes, I can. Now, I'm too far away from Italy, and frankly, I I don't know of a ton of MMA media types in Italy. We are very much relying on secondhand information here. But the secondhand information I've been given, take that for what it's worth, is that they there is hope that Italy could become something of a a much much something of a hotbed for combat sports, partly with some traditions, obviously in kickboxing. If you guys didn't see the calcio or Calio, how you pronounce the word calcio storio thing on Netflix, is fucking bananas. But um, yes, we have seen that what people really respond to is some kind of national hero who is seen on a big stage, who then takes what is already kind of, uh, you know, burgeoning, moving through the, the, the process, and hitting it into overdrive. Um, I'm told Vittori has... You know, from a metric standpoint, in Italy, some of the capabilities of doing this that remains to be seen whether he can win, and it remains to be seen to what kind of extent a market can be cultivated. You have to be there to cultivate. You have to put shows there. You have to get gyms that are work there. You have to find other fighters there. It's a whole th- operation in place that has to go. I mean, a country is a big thing, um, so one guy by itself can't transform it, but one guy can act to your question as a catalyst for other forms of change. Given what we know about UFC fighter pay as a percentage of annual revenue, is it possible that Jon Jones' contract negotiations would be more successful toward the end of the year? Given that Conor is fighting at least twice this year, I wonder if UFC would be more willing to meet Jon Jones' demands after they are more confident in their 2021 revenue totals. Certainly, that plays a a role. But again, here's what would have to happen for some kind of real adjustment to be made. They'd have to look at what was on the potential radar for 2022 and then they'd have to be short enough where John could meaningfully provide a bridge to where they want to get. Now, to be clear, if he worked for them and he fought, he would be a key player in that building process. But because they have such a stranglehold on all the all the divisions of MMA, I mean, maybe you could argue Bellator's 205 division rivals it, but short of that, they've got like, who's got the best women's flyweight division? Who's got the best welterweight division? Who's got the best bantamweight division? Like, these, UFC's got all of them, right? For the most part. and Maybe exclusively. Um, so as long as that is in place and they don't have terrible injuries or people retiring en masse or something, for the most part, for the most part, they're going to have other pieces of their business to lean on plus through contracted revenue from just the amount of shows they put on to inoculate themselves from any kind of leverage that a fighter can provide. So the answer is certainly, you know, when they want to factor in what kind of they can rely on you or not is a big deal, what kind of fights they can put together, all all of that matters. Um, But I would say that the extent to which that was usable for leverage in contract negotiation I think has dramatically shifted in the last few years. Luke, can MMA be considered the less technically stagnant of modern slash popular sports? I believe this to come from discipline, diversity, and the shortness of its rules. Uh, Yes, but those are not the biggest factors. The biggest factor is that it is new. Baseball has been around, American baseball has been around well over a century, boxing, well over a century, American football has been. You know, uh, sir, so it continues to change, but has been you know around decades. Um, American basketball has a, a 19th century origin. Um, you know, we're talking about sports where the best practices uh, had year after year, decade after decade. Frankly, in many ways, generation after generation to progress. We're still what 25, 30 years deep into this. You know, granted, their composite martial arts had a long time to develop, but as they interplay, we now realize that there are some differences between what works, what doesn't, what's helpful, what isn't, and how it should be applied, and even if it works, how it needs to be adjusted for these new realities. These are, we're still trying to figure this out. I'm not saying there's gonna come a point where there's no more technique evolution. There will always be evolution, but because of that newness, you're seeing these broad leaps that are made very quickly. That will go away. There will be adjustments, there will be changes, there will be things people focus on, there will be improvements, but the pace of that will slow dramatically. Um, Not sure when, could be a generation or two, but it won't always be like this. So yes, do I think that the discipline diversity and how there's very few constraints on it create all these imaginative possibilities? No doubt about it, but also it's like, we haven't been doing this very long. We're still trying to figure out what works. Uh, Olympic sports you're going to pay most attention to. Well, (laughs) I don't know if they're going to have an Olympics, folks. Uh, Did you guys see this? 83% of Japanese, 83, more than four in five, don't want the Olympics. Period. Now you've got the Asahi, is it Shimbum, which is the second biggest newspaper in Japan, a circulation of 5 million people, I'm told, uh, came out and said explicitly there should be none. There's tons of groups, advocacy groups in Japan. Pushing against it, I don't know what effect it will have, but like, you know, gun to my head, is there going to be a Summer Olympics? Yeah, I think there will be, but uh, you know, could I could I guarantee it? I could not guarantee it. I don't. I, I think we should. It's a story you should pay attention to. Um, I don't know what the vaccination situation is like in Japan. I'm surprised that they've not moved along quicker with this. Um, cause basically it turns out, did you guys see all these South Asian countries that had no COVID forever now are having like insane outbreaks, Thailand, Vietnam, places like that. Um, it turns out really the only way to beat this shit is with vaccines. Like there's, you can't get people for a sustained enough amount of time unless you were, you know, walled off from the world, like Australia and New Zealand. Um, you can't beat it without some kind of vaccine to uh, stamp out the er- eradicate the disease essentially. Uh, but you're asking about which one's going to pay attention to. Obviously, wrestling, judo's big, um, but mostly I'm focused on this. This if they have it this time, uh, for sure. Weightlifting, for sure. You got Lasha Hadzi out of Georgia. He is the greatest super heavyweight of all time, and he is barreling down the door of hitting a 500 kilo total between his snatch and his clean and jerk, which is a mythical fucking number that no one thought possible. I think he's only five kilos off, um, at least from training footage, he's only five kilos off. So you're talking about the guy who's already the best, maybe the best for, for super heavyweights, maybe the best snatcher of all time. Um, everyone in Tokyo is gonna be fighting for second on him. The only question is how much is he gonna win first by and is he going to try and do the 500 kilos? I tend to think he won't because he gets money every time he breaks a record. So you want to break rec- by the Georgian government. So you want to break whatever those records are incrementally so you can keep getting money. So, you know, I don't know that he's going to go for the 500 kilo total. But he's going to get pretty close. And that is absolutely... If you're talking about, you know, one of the strongest humans to ever live. um, Yeah, I'm going to watch what he's up to. Also, the Americans have some good... Have some good uh, Lifters. Uh, Harrison Morris is good. Um, CJ Cummings is good. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good lifters. Who's the best grappler or jiu jitsu player you've ever had the opportunity to train with? I mean, I've trained with some decent ones for like, you know, dumb rolls for five minutes where you just get absolutely worked over. I've said this before the hardest arm bar I ever suffered was a guy who I think he was. Brown belt in jiu-jitsu, black belt in judo. He was a member of the Olympic judo team out of Mongolia. <laughs> and this dude hit me with an arm bar. It was the tightest arm bar I'd ever felt like by far. Not even, I couldn't even begin to think about what a close second would have been. And the reason I really remember it is because when he tried, if you guys don't know... There's a lot of parts to the armbar that make it work, but you really want to bring your knees as close to your rear end as you can, right? So you're really bending the knees, engaging the hamstrings, you're pinching your own knees together. And I remember as he was trying to close his hamstrings, he healed me right in my face on my lip, and then busted it, and it was bleeding everywhere. Um, and it fucking hurt, man. <laughs> that armbar was tight. Um, and you can imagine, Jujikatami, you've seen all the judokas. They're all good at it. That armbar, it came out of nowhere. And that was like, I don't know how to explain it. It felt like, if you know what a normal armbar feels like and then you feel that one, it felt like, and he was not heavy, but it felt like someone, several weight classes above me doing it. That's what it felt like. It felt like I was going up against them. Imagine the mountain had like, you know, amazing arm bars. It felt like getting arm barred by that. I mean, it was powerful, man. That dude had, he was strong, so strong. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm-mm. Uh, Luke, can fans local to Miami come out and hang with you in BC after the event? I don't know. If we go out, I'll tell everyone there could be a tweet up. How about that? I have lifted weights for a while, but kind of go into the gym and do random things. You should not do that. I have no idea how to program a weightlifting routine. Any programs you recommend that I follow? Okay, first of all, fellas even ladies if you're watching this you have no idea how good you have it (laughs) when i started heavily lifting weights in a little bit in 95 but then stopped and then 97 so i did two years there but the real lifting weights i did in 98 uh 99 and so forth up until about 2003 or 4. okay at the time if you wanted information on lifting, there was basically only three places you were going to go. One, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding. Two, Flex Magazine. Maybe Muscle and Fitness. Maybe Maxim if you were a real turd. But Flex Magazine. Um, there were some online forums, but they were kind of shit. And then the third one was, did you know someone who lifted weights? You know, you know that health coach. Who taught PE and maybe he was like the quarterbacks. See, I grew up in the South where all everything revolves around the football programs. And we always had these coaches. They'd be like, oh, the quarterbacks coach, wide receivers coach, defensive line coach. And the state has to employ them. This has changed, I think, since then. But at the time, if you worked as a coach in uh, an athletic department at a, at a high school, you also had to teach some kind of class. So they'd have him teach the most like remedial fucking shit. Um, you know, Those guys were teaching people how to bench. Those guys were teaching people how to do deadlifts. That's how you learned, man. You just learned from some meathead or some coach who was supposed to teach you sex ed. That's how you learned. Dude, today, I can't overstate. There is no reason, no reason whatsoever why you can't program a, a workout effectively for, for two big reasons. One, you can just pay a motherfucker to give you one. Dude, Jeff Nippard or Nippard, however you pronounce his name, uh, Jeff Cavalier, uh, you know, all these guys, Omar Isif, all these YouTube guys, they've all got workouts you can have. Plus, there's a million guys on Instagram, Knees Over Toes guy is another one you could do if you're really working on your knees or whatever. There's a million different fitness personalities men or women who will just sell you a program that works for anywhere from six weeks to six months there's a book you can buy from renaissance periodization called the scientific principles of strength training that will teach you everything you need to know to the point where you could even use that for pro bodybuilding programming that's not what you're talking about but that's how much knowledge is in that book the basic way to understand it and you should absolutely not take anything i say here as gospel you should go and verify it but you can either go buy a program, you can go all over YouTube, they teach you you know, all about Perlipins Table, all the different ways in which you can do programming, conjugate method, the whole nine yards, and it's all free, every part of it. So you can pay to have someone just do it for you, you can watch all this knowledge, you can read all these books and you can develop it yourself. But if you just want to start while you're acquiring that, very simple. Okay, here we go. Pick one to two compound movements, you will do those first in your workouts. Again, if you are an experienced lifter, You will realize that's not necessarily true, but for beginners and even intermediate, start with your heaviest compound lift, so that's a bench, overhead press, squat, or dead. Um, You know, program that light sets, and light, or I should say uh, light reps, five or less, for sets of three or four. And then from there you build accessory work. So the way it works is you can have one compound lift and four accessory lifts. You can do two compound lifts and three accessory lifts. And start there. Now, again, anybody who knows anything about lifting will know that there's tons of variation you can incorporate in there, but start there. For each day, focus on one compound lift and then accessory uh, lifts around that. I don't recommend bro splits, which are like back day and leg day. I recommend a much more scientific way of breaking it up because you can get better volume and better intensity over time. But to start, as a very basic way to start, here's here's a very easy way to do it. So you program uh, overhead press one day. You start with your overhead press and work on your mechanics there. You do four sets, you know, light work in terms of reps, but you know, good. Uh, uh, strain on your central nervous system. Then you go on, you can do uh, lateral raise. You can do, um, after that, you could do face pulls. After that, you could do um, shrugs. After that, you could do upright rows. After that, you could do front raises. After that, you could do... You could grab uh, open barbells and you could pull it behind you like this on the weight itself to work the rear delts. I mean, you could just go on and on with it. Then the next day you could do deadlifts. And then after that you could do, um, uh, for accessory work, you could do dumbbell rows. You could do do, pull-ups. You could do, Jesus, what's some other good back work you could do? You could do any kind of different cable pulling exercises that target various muscles in the back. You could do different kinds of shrugs backwards. You can do you know, different kinds of pulling from elbow. I mean, just, it's just endless. So pick a compound movement or two per day. Start with those. Make sure you're doing the right rep ranges and the right intensity. Put three or four accessory lifts behind it and then go. But you need to go and educate yourself and read and take it from people who can guide you in a much more direct and uh, uh, an educated um, uh, path. It's either a personal trainer, get on YouTube, read a book, or just pay someone to give you pay someone. You can do online coaching, you record yourself filming, you send it to your coach, they critique your form so they make sure you're not fucking yourself up. Like there if I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there has never been a better time to get into the weight room for whatever your purposes are, body composition, strength, hormone regulation, whatever. Now is the time. Now is the time. You have access to so much information. All most of it free. I think we have reached um, last one how come you don't talk and discuss philosophy you commonly discuss politics as you clearly enjoy it I was wondering why this does not extend to your philosophical thoughts because largely these conversations around philosophy, most people around philosophy think that like philosophy is, discuss, is discussing ethical questions like you know um, if, there, if God is all good and omnipotent, why is there evil in the world or what are the ethics of abortion or things like that. But when you actually think about it, those are philosophies applied to uh, more central questions to the human experience or the understanding of human knowledge they're not actually philosophy as such. And what you find is that when you actually get into philosophical arguments about what is true, the nature of truth, um, how we come to understand things, or whatever claims that or, or precepts uh, underwrite that particular form of uh, philosophical thinking, you get into pretty esoteric debates that aren't really all that satisfying to have without it applying to some kind of context. I don't think you can have ethical reasoning if you haven't really thought it through. And then decide what principles matter to you and why, and and where those paths lead you in terms of what things you can support and not. Um, if you've never thought about what really is the point of existence, is it human flourishing? How does one produce that? Who is responsible for that? These are really important questions to have, and um, I do think that the study of philosophy can help you get closer to it. But for the most part, the bigger questions are not that. The questions are, uh, at least for day to day people, how does this how does this practically apply? Um, to questions of our individual or collective existences in this space in which we are living in it now, right? Uh, someone's asking here, like, what to do about homeless uh, people. Like, the question is a public policy solution underwritten by some kind of uh, ethical orientation about what a government owes people. Why does it owe that? And you can get into those kinds of conversations as well. But I tend to think that the that the more, it's not that the philosophical underpinnings aren't good or important or frankly you can't really get to the next step until you've done that work. That's true. But in terms of like on a live chat, I find them to be, they they come off sounding very, very academic. And I think people have the wrong impression about what the study of philosophy actually looks like. It's like, how do we answer big, tough questions? Yes, it can be that. Um, You can have it. I had a teacher where we talked, it was just about the ethics of death. I took a class called death. That's it. And it was all the various ethical implications of um, what death means, how we find it, what does it mean that certain people experience it in the ways that they do, and others not, like children versus adults, and um, you know. And this brings up other broader questions. It's kind of interesting, but the answer is, you know, if you were really to have a question about the epistemic worldview of the logical positivists, it gets to a pretty narrow inaccessible form of discussion versus practical application all right that is it for this thursday a bit of a quiet one i appreciate everyone who watched here we go thumbs up on this hit subscribe so here's the deal show tomorrow 11 a.m me and bc and you we will be there uh email us morningcombat at gmail.com for any particular dead wrong then on top of it um i don't know what plans we have for the weekend for programming Monday, we're off, but we'll have the mailbag episode, and then we travel on Wednesday. So, should be interesting. Okay. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching.